1917, when Our Lady of Fatima was calling the world to penance, St. Maximilian Kolbe was in Rome seeing the conspiracy of Freemasons trying to take over the Vatican. And they held their placards, which said, Satan must rule in the Vatican and the Pope will be his slave. And he was fired with zeal to fight against the fallen angels. He wrote this. In the face of such attacks of the enemies of the church of God, are we to remain inactive? Is that all we can do? Complain and cry? No. Every one of us has a holy obligation to personally hurl back the assaults of the foe. Today, we announce our trad sodality of fasting, where we propose and we challenge all trads to fight against the fallen angels in our time. Jesus is King. Welcome to the One Peter Five Podcast, rebuilding Christendom, restoring Catholic culture and tradition. I'm Timothy Flanders, editor in chief of One Peter Five, and I'm joined today by Matthew Pleasy and Steve Cunningham, gentlemen, brethren in Christ. How are y'all doing? Great to talk with you. Doing great. <laughs> Good to be here. Thanks for having us. Uh, yeah. Same here. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. So, Steve how you guys doing? Yeah, Steve Cunningham uh, was able to squeeze in with uh, the six jobs that he he does over at Census Fidelium. You know, we should really promote the censusfidelium.tv, which is it's not got a name it? change. It's got a brand. Yeah, name. I know. I noticed that too. You want to you want to talk at all about that? Let me put it on the screen. Yeah, it's basically because people were asking all kinds of things like, the, do I support every channel that came up and all this? So they thought I was running the chat, the platform. And no, it's other guys that were using. All right, how it came about, we were trying to figure out a name for it. Okay. And we came out with the cheesiest names beyond cheesy. I mean, you would have, you would have let people, people at the parish where the, uh, the old ladies doing the, the, the young group, the young adult groups would have laughed at us how cheesy the names were. But so I just said, why don't we just do Cespedalia? We already got the name. We can use the logo. Bam. And that was it. So it was a building process for that. Then we started getting more recruiting, more people coming in. And uh, I wasn't liking what people were saying, going, hey, you really support this guy? I, go, I don't know who this guy is. I, mean, I can't have a name behind it. So we were trying to figure out, all right, just put in like a bland name and get my name off the, the cover so that, again, it's all about protecting the priest, too. So now it's I don't have to call in and say, Hey man, uh, get this guy off. I can't, we can't have this on and my name being associated with it. So now I can little back, just upload, relax and enjoy and not have to worry about running a platform. Excellent. Yeah. So this is the Catholic YouTube that's been created by Steve Cunningham and all his good people over at sense of Fidelium. So go over to it's So it's spiritus tv.com now. Uh, it's not, it's uh, so spiritus TV. Dot com if you want catholic alternative to youtube all of one peter five podcasts are over there as well um and so it's all just all catholics you don't have to support the big gay the global homo whatever all the different machinations the octopus entangling youtube and all the different things uh you can have a catholic alternative to youtube spiritus tv excellent so thanks for doing that uh, and thanks for all your good work, Steve. Oh, it's all the guys that did it. I can't take credit. The only thing I can take credit down was getting nuked that one day back in November. And these guys said, we need to do something. So because of that. Oh, they yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Census Fidelium was nuked and then they gave it back to you. Yeah. Yeah. They gave me uh, they, some spammer was going around, spamming around. And they that's automatic extermination. And I had to tell them that wasn't me. And uh, they put me back on that that evening. But these guys say, hey, we got to put something up. And. There's still more things coming live. Uh, the ability to do lives coming, upload more. Uh, I think two two gigs. I think is the limit. Eventually, we'll get more. Uh, they need to do the uh, the notification. So when uh, someone uploads, they'll get a push notification. That's coming. All sorts of cool things coming. I mean, compared to Odyssey, Rumble, BitChute, this thing is. I mean, check just pl check out the playlists. The playlists are fantastic. Everything they got is really well done. Excellent. Yeah, so ch check it out, spiritustv.com. Subscribe to the Catholic YouTube. So let's talk about our topic, um, 1peter5.com slash donate to help us out. Here's, uh, let's see, Septuagesima, literaturethehome.com. Here's your 
here's your uh, your kid catechetical calendar. We always recommend this. Uh, I love what uh, Michaela Harrison did with this for Septuagesima. Septuagesima is upon us. Here we are with pre-Lent. There are now only two more Sundays before Ash Wednesday. And uh, here is, let's see, my favorite is Quinquagesima. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, the Son of Man will suffer. So we're preparing for Lent. And so we're launching our trad fasting sodality today. And Matthew Pleasy is the author of a new book, which was just released, which is the definitive guide to Catholic fasting and abstinence. This is your definitive guide to this topic uh, and the trad fasting sodality, which is championed by Matthew Pleasy in cooperation and partnership with 1 Peter 5 and Sense of the Fidelium. That is your practical guide to get involved. We currently have about 50 people in the group right now. Uh, so you can join now. So Matthew, tell us about, or actually, let me show you this first. So if you go to metwinpeter5.com and there's a fast right up here, this is where all the, all the details of the, of the fasting sodality are right here. All of this, uh, the, the basic tier one of this commitment, which we'll get into all that. But Matthew, can you tell us about St. Nicholas? Why did you choose St. Nicholas as the patron of this sodality? So um, when you approached me uh, about this project, I, one, I think it's extremely important. So as I've talked about on your show and other, other shows for quite some time, I think fasting is the forgotten discipline of our time. It's what our fathers and their fathers and their fathers did religiously. And it really underscore Catholic life. In addition to Sunday Mass, fasting and absence were practiced not just in Lent, but throughout the year. But as we know, Lent was the great uh, badge of Christian honor. It was the greatest fast we could do, the most austere, the most pleasing to God. And it's something that I've been trying to bring back consistently to the writings I do on A Catholic Life, on 1 Peter 5, the Fatima Center, um, and, and other apostolates as well. I keep emphasizing it because I think it's so important. Now, when we talked about doing this, um, uh, this organization and getting people to actually commit to fasting and having the support of a community, we needed a patron. And I thought it would be natural that we would choose a patron who has already um, undergone this uh, for us. So not somebody in modern times, although we might be able to relate to them a bit better, I chose somebody who their own life was characterized by fasting, by absence, as well as the charity that should underscore fasting and absence. So that's why I chose St. Nicholas. We think about him, one, for his charity, to his charity to the poor, to his charity to children. We think about him at Christmas, but we also think about his orthodoxy, the alleged slapping the face of Arius, the, the boldness against the, the errors of his time. Uh, but what we often don't think about is how much he fasted. He fasted every Wednesday and Friday of his entire life. And in fact, the Roman uh, breviary, if you read the account of it quoted in that article, it talked about how even from his infancy, he fasted every single Wednesday and Friday. Even when he was a nursing infant, he fasted those days. So what better way for us to have a fidelity than to be under a patron who has undergone fasting similar to the one that we're proposing, the fasting practiced by our forefathers in the ancient church, through the medieval church, even down to the Renaissance, the period of time when we really had fasting and absence really attacked. And I go over that in the book in more detail. Excellent. And th this is something that the three of us have talked about privately for some time. Uh, Steve, you've talked about, uh, and you've, you've talked about it publicly too, just, just the, uh, our trad, the, the, the difficulties in our own trad movement uh, with a lack of penance, a lack of a zeal for, you know, something's wrong in the church. Some, you know, some bishop did some horrible, scandalous thing. Let's all go do reparation. You know, nobody's nobody's tweeting about, hey, let's go. Okay, let's all meet at the church, do some reparation. <laughs> you know, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Steve, what are your thoughts on that? This is something that you've 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 spearheaded a, a lot. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, no one's no one says pray for. I mean, no one says pray for them. I mean, we go to we go to the mass. We all love the traditional mass. We all fight for the land language, but when we hear Saint Paul's readings. <laughs> being told to us in the mass that we'd like. And then later on in English, right after you, you have no excuse unless you're maybe Hispanic and you just don't know either. I and mean, you don't try afterwards. I don't know, but it's right to you. Love that. You know, look how they love each other. Pray for your enemies. Do good that persecute you. All this. 
it, it's almost like do we just it's the pray hope don't worry is do we like the bumper sticker or do we want to actually practice it I mean, you just like the worry we worry 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 anxiety anxiety why worry pray hope don't worry oh i love Pio. you might like the guy but you don't like this white man can't jump or you might be listening to jimmy but are you hearing jimmy uh, same thing with this is the, the love. It goes into fasting. How much you love our Lord. Pope Benedict XIV said that. The badge of Christian honor, which Matthew just brought up. And he goes, this is the time where you might say you love him, but show it by your actions. How do you love? How much do you really love him? Can you give up that Twinkie? I thought about bringing in like a buffet of food behind me while we're doing this, but I didn't get to it in time. But yeah, I mean, no one says pray. I mean, even like uh, the, the reading a couple of weeks ago, the public land of Pharisee. Uh, maybe, I'm, I'm thinking of Byzantine. I'm sorry. I got Byzantine sermons coming in too. There was two weeks ago was the uh, uh, the publican and the Pharisee where he was fasting, but he was so proud of himself like a peacock. Look at me. Look what I'm doing. Look how good I am. I'm fasting. I'm tithing. I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to be doing. But in his heart of hearts, he was worthless. And the other guy was sitting on the ground going, you know, beating his chest, not looking up, you know, have mercy on me as sinner. Where are we on that? Are we... On Twitter, trying to say, hey, look at me. Look what I'm doing. I, I don't even like the ones where you say, hey, I'm going to Mass. What do I need to pray for you for? Just go. Don't tell me you're going. <laughs> Just do it. I never tweeted, even though Twitter wasn't around then. I think I would have never thought, hey, I'm going to the gym to run 38 stairs, uh, shoot 500 times, then work out afterwards. What would you like me to do for you while I'm doing this? Just go do it. It's, it's the whole sports analogy with you know saint paul writes about it run the race run hard mm -hmm. uh sport people in sports they eat right they do everything for their body they're not worried about what other people think of them i mean you you get into a gym when no one's at you always hear like larry bird would go in and go, try to find something in the gym and nobody knows what he's doing he's running laps before practice and then there's practice uh the asceticism in sports everyone takes whole matthew knows he's running races the dude runs from one side of Florida to the other side of Florida. You have to have your body trained in order to do this, just like St. Paul says. But that's just for the, the palm that withers. What are we doing for the palm that doesn't wither? We, where's Our mindset is just so out of whack. We're, yeah, we get angry. It's, we're, it's terrible times. Great. There's a, there was a book, the pageant of the popes. I hear, I just heard about the other day. So it talks about all the bad popes. We act like it's the worst time. It, it was perfect before and never after. But Father Mateo talks about penance. Million people in Chicago doing penance. Could you imagine that? We can't get a million people in the world, much less in Chicago. But if we just went, all right, this pope, this bishop stinks. Fine. What are we doing for it? Pray. Get some instead of uh, calluses on your fingers. Get calluses on your knees or fast a little bit more, but don't tell anybody you're doing it and then do it joyfully. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love St. Saint, Saint Nicholas as our patron, jolly old St. Nicholas helping us yeah. fast joyfully. Here's uh, here's the quote from Benedict the 14th that y'all have uh, mentioned here. This is contained in Matthew's book quote. This is, so this is Pope Benedict the 14th from the 1700s quote. The observance of Lent is the very badge of the Christian warfare. By it, we prove ourselves not to be the enemies of the cross of Christ. By it, we avert the scourges of divine justice. By it, we gain strength against the princes of darkness, for it shields us with heavenly help. Should mankind grow remiss in their observance of Lent, it would be a detriment to God's glory, a disgrace to the Catholic religion, and a danger to Christian souls. Neither can it be doubted that such negligence would become the source of misery to the world, of public calamity, and of private woe. Uh, now, Matthew, this is the the diminishment of the, the observance of Lent is really the subject of your book. I, one of the right. surprising things that I learned from your book, and by the way, I I, I learned, I, I mean, I was taught to fast when I was Eastern Orthodox, so I was taught um, these disciplines. But I didn't know 75% of the things you, you bring out in your book. It was very, uh, one of the surprising things was that how much, you know, as trads, we blame a lot on Paul VI. But in fact, Pius Twelfth actually pretty much dispensed with a lot of Lent. And I didn't even realize that. I was surprised that Pius Twelfth was actually doing this. And Benedict XIV that I just quoted, um, as you say, he was the one who introduced partial abstinence. Um, so Matthew, do you have any comments on this 
diminishment. I mean, this is really the subject right. of your whole book, but uh, any comments? Yeah, the, you know what? When I look at triads, you know, we're, we're fighting a good fight for the mass. We're fighting a good fight, hopefully, for, for souls. And there's a lot of focus on the mass, and there should be. But that doesn't mean we can't focus on other things, too. We can't focus, you know, we shouldn't say, because I'm focused on the mass, I can't promote the rosary. That would be absurd. So to simply say, I'm focused on the mass and restoring tradition, um, fasting's not important. And, and most of my work is going to show just how absurd that claim is. We need to bring back the whole of Christendom, not just the mass, but, but all of it, including penance. You know, unless you do penance, you will perish. Our Lord himself did that. And he showed us that by his own example. Not only did he say that, but as God himself, he chose to fast in a desert for 40 days, not for his own sins, because he had none, but to give us an example. And the church has, since the very time of the apostles, practiced what we know as the Lenten fast, observed with the utmost devotion, with the utmost rigor, and, and for just the most love you could really possibly do. And if we look at what our forefathers did, as I talk about in the book, there was a bishop martyred in the 200s. And as he was being led to his execution, they offered him a glass of water. And at this time, not even water was allowed during the fast until the meal. And he refused it, even though he is being led to his execution to have one final drop of water. And he said that he would rather um, have that water in heaven than break it now. So the history of fasting and absence is unfortunately a sad story. It's the collapse of an important part of our disciplines, of our faith, of our practice that the apostles themselves instituted. So we might point our finger at the, at the 50s, at the 60s, at the 70s as a moral collapse in the church, as a really attack on the mass, and we should. But we shouldn't forget that the fact that there was a tax on the faith and on its practice long beforehand. As you noted, Pius XII weakened a lot of disciplines. Same thing even with St. Uh, Pius X. Some of his changes in the 1917 code at the time were actually quite revolutionary, as I talked about in the book. Um, before him, we have um, Leo XIII as well. So if you go all the way back to the time of Benedict XIV, even though he's saying this, this is the great badge of Christian honor. If you read the book and you understand more about what I've written about fasting, at the same time he says this, he's granting an exception to allow meat for the first time ever during Lent on days uh, Mondays, you know, Tuesdays, when, um, Thursdays especially, that you can have meat at, at your principal meal. Beforehand, that was absurd. In all of Lent, there was no meat. There was no dairy products. It was a complete sacrifice. And that was the first time it was really affected. So um, it's not a modern thing. We are yeah. suffering from the consequences that have been going on now for hundreds of years. But we actually have a way to voluntarily bring back these practices for the good of souls. Yeah. So th this is what this sodality is all about is to let's to help each other, to help each other, to support each other, to do this together. And, and, and we'll talk about it. a quote from your book in a minute about the efficaciousness of public corporate fasting. Um, this is, here's a quote from your book again um, on that. And what you just said here. Uh, so quoting from your book, while often held as an archetype for tradition, the 1917 code, code largely took the concessions granted to America and other nations and reduced fasting practices that were widely practiced elsewhere in the world. It was at the same time that our Blessed Mother appeared in Fatima and called for more penance, precisely at a time when fasting was quickly fading. So I thought that was very interesting how you noted that even the 1970 code is actually a, quite a concession to what was before. Uh, mm -hmm. And that brings us to some of the practical things. So I, I'd like you to kind of break down this a little bit. Um, the basics of this whole sodality is that it's separated into these three tiers. So everybody mm -hmm. who joins. So this is a combination like what what Steve just emphasized here. We don't want to say, oh, we're we're so great because we're fasting. We don't we're not. This is the point of this is not to just say, hey, everybody's so great. So we basically have this minimum where everybody agrees to do this minimum. And then at privately, you can take on more and there's tier two and tier three. So that's mm -hmm. up to you. Um, but here, so tier one, going down here, tier one um, is essentially what was contained in the 1970 code, except partial abstinence is removed. So uh, basically what this is, the trad Lent that we are proposing in the sodality that we challenge all of our fellow trads to take on. 
um, to join us to take on this whole effort to really offer penance for the, I mean, this is really for offering up penance or reparation for bad clergy, for our own souls, for our own sins. Uh, but also, I think for the trad movement, just to help us sharpen us to be truly more traditional, which is really just more devotional, more pious. This is something that we should really spearhead as trads um, for the sake of all of all of our efforts that we're trying to do. So tier one is the 1970 code, except a removal of partial abstinence. And so that means what that means is it is no meat for the entirety of Lent, including Sundays. So start on Ash Wednesday, no meat for the entirety of Lent, and it's fasting six days per week. That's tier one. So Matthew, can you can you break down some 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 of some of these basics here? But that that's the yes sense. yes. So um, that 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 is basically what tier one is. We want to take as a minimum the 1917 code with with some changes, as you noted, because partial absence was such an attack on on the Lenten fast. We we simply are going to say if, if it's a day of any absence. We're going to do complete absence, as our forefathers did. Um, the other thing, too, to note is, even though we're talking about this right now, we've just intercepted to a Jezima, we're entering Lent soon. This is not only Lent. This is a year-round thing. So if you notice here, some of the vigils we're talking about, these are vigils throughout the summer and into the fall and into, into um, actually into next year. Like one, one instance here that's a little bit different is uh, January 22nd, uh, the National Day here in America for penance for violations against the dignity of human life is a day on here as well. So it's not the true 1970 code. There are some adaptations too, and it is all year long too. So this is not just for Lent. Use Lent as the springboard to get into fasting, but don't be like so many people who think, oh, Lent's over. I no longer need to abstain on Friday. I no, no longer need to fast throughout the year. That would be manifestly false. So this is a new way of living your life to make continual reparation and penance for the sins of the clergy, for the conversion of sinners. This is how we make up for the sexual abuse crisis in the church. We pray for the clergy who have committed such atrocities, for their victims, for those scandalized to come back to the faith. We actually have a means to do so. And practically speaking, that is living a life of fasting. So no meat at all throughout the year with no exceptions whatsoever. Um, that is largely the 1917 code, but the 1970 code did change things because what it did do is it made it possible so that way if it was a holy day of obligation in your particular country, you would not have to observe um, uh, absence on that day. We simply just say every single Friday throughout the year since our Lord died on Friday. And you could read it through for more information too, but again, no flesh meat throughout the entirety of Lent until Easter. No flesh meat in any of those vigils, including any of the ember days, and no desserts and sweets as well throughout Lent. That's tier one as a minimum. And fasting, what do we mean by fasting? It's simply one meal a day, never had before noon, preferably after three o'clock since our Lord died after at three o'clock, but if if possible, even after sunset, because that's how the Jews practice fasting. That's how the early Christians as well practice fasting. But if you need to, you can have an optional evening snack called a collation or an optional morning one called a frustulum. The collation originated several centuries ago, um, and the frustulum is actually pretty recent and introduced into the church only within the past couple hundred years. Excellent. So you can go through all of the... Um the details here and matthew is also going to create an annual fasting calendar to help all of us keep track of this yes. um that, that calendar for 2023 is already out so if somebody it's on it's on a catholic life right i mean correct correct it is it is on there um, yeah if you um if you scroll to the right and you click on fasting and uh, go um right in there under category click on fasting and absence oh, okay and you click there, scroll down a little bit, and a little bit more, um, and that—that that is it. In um, that is, if you want to order, you can buy the. Uh, there's a calendar version, so you can add it to your Outlook or your Google calendars or anything. But if you click that link right there, that will also take you um, to um, a screenshot too. So you can just save that too if you want to. Either way, um, the the um, calendar file, if you wanted it, is only a couple dollars too. Excellent. Well, that's that's and that's very helpful to keep track of this. Um, so yeah, that, and look at this too. This is what we're proposing, and on some of the like tier three, this is tier three right here. It is not just during Lent. This is this is actually what our forefathers did, um, you know, centuries ago. And look at the amount of rigor in their lives. 
You know, it's hard to keep sinning if you keep fasting and you keep having before you, I'm making up reparation for my sins and those of others through this. So this is a real way to put into practice a path to a more holy life. But of course, with charity for others too. That's what that's what the um, Steve was talking about as well. We have to have charity. Charity and the love of our neighbor uh, have to be forefront too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so we we've got the Telegram group is where this the all the members. Uh, if you have any questions with all this, because it, it it'll be a little complicated. I, I, there's some questions in the chat which we'll get to as well. So you can if you scroll down on the post, there is the Telegram group link right here. So you can click on this right here. And one thing we want to emphasize here is that this is also, because especially for scrupulous souls, this is a voluntary penance. So we're, we're voluntarily taking this on. So if you fail and you, you know, you can't make this and you, you know, you eat meat or whatever, that is in the voluntary sense, not if you eat meat on Friday, that would be a serious matter. Right. But if you, you know, if you fail, this is not even a venial sin. So for scrupulous people, you know, if there's anything that, uh, you know, if, if you fail, it's the but the telegram group, this is something that helps us, supports us to try to take this on um, together. So but just to yeah. emphasize that that part. Um, so you can We're not in the phone. I've been ahead. running a group on uh, Facebook called Feast and Fast uh, now for over a year. And we've talked about similar things. What are recipes to have during Lent? What are what are the days throughout the year? How does this observe? Different rites had different ob observations as well. There was different historical things. Even, for instance, Holy Innocence Day in some small areas of France were days of, of fasting from uh, items cooked in, uh, in oil um, as well. So there's just there's a lot of different historical things about the church. But they all show, even though there's differences, we're all in the same fight together to do penance. And even though there are differences from region to region, historically, it's important to understand the, the reason behind them and how we can put them into practice voluntarily in our own life. So that's what the Telegram group is. You know, join in. You have the opportunity to ask questions. You'll have the opportunity to meet others. You're not alone. We can share recipes. We can share historical things throughout the year and guides as well. So it's really an aid to everybody. Steve says, I'm going to miss bonbons. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that in the uh, litany of food right there. That was funny. I go, bonbons. <laughs> oh, that was in the sweets. <laughs> but that goes into like, even the secular people know that fat intermediate fasting is good for you just for the body itself. Mm -hmm. we, it, we, everyone takes our good stuff and uses it for themselves. Uh, that whole list there, you probably should be eating anyways if you want a healthy body and maybe an even good spiritual life. And we were talking, he brought up voluntarily. That's perfect. I remember one priest talked about the uh, uh, about the church getting rid of was the uh, uh, the abstinence of uh, meat, and he was talking about being people in the bush of Africa might not be able to get the fish. And he goes, "But for you people in the states, now instead of having a rule that you have to be like, ah, oh, I gotta go do this, and you get mer no merit at them, almost that doing just because you don't like it, and you're just doing it because you have to. Now this is how much do you want to?" Now it's up to you. How much do you love to do this? Then eventually you'll get to the point that you can't wait to do it and you'll find the joy in fasting, the joy in penance. It might sound some kind of weirdo or something like that, but yeah, at first it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. Don't go into the deep end right out first. Start start with a little bit and gradually build up. Great. I think it took me like two or three years to start doing the uh, mm -hmm. uh, no meat at all during Lent. And then you get into, you see Alphonsus talks about doing it every Saturday for a lady. You talk about the pre the visuals to do it before that. Then you're thinking, oh, the ember days, all you just know do then. Then you start wriggling your body, you get your mind ready for it. It doesn't come up all at once, like, oh no, I'm not gonna be able to eat. I can't, you know, I can't hold it. Then your mind gets to it, mind over body, and you'll figure that you can survive without the food. But you'll notice it in yourselves when say like a, a regular Tuesday comes up and you just got busy and you haven't eaten yet, you feel all grumble and you feel down, you're worn out, all this. But in Lent, your mind's ready for it, and you're not like that. It's it's. I know I might be with me. I get the uh, the hangry stuff, in, you know, like on a Wednesday or a two or a Monday, and I just forgotten to eat that day. I go, man, I can't do it. But if I do it in Lent, not a big deal at all. I right. might forget to eat till about four o'clock. Not now pushing it. I just I just forget, and you just don't even think about it. Then you eat, but don't be like the Muslims, which gorge themselves when sundown comes down. Matthew brought up about the history. We used to laugh at the Muslims, apparently, and they, they did nothing. They spit out the, you know, spit out so they didn't swallow their own saliva. You know, now look at us. They laugh at us, probably. But then yeah. when the sun goes down, they go to the buffet and they just 
tear down 14 plates and kind of nullifies the whole purpose. So yeah, don't do that either. Don't go to the, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm starving myself, but now I'm going to eat a, you know, the all you can eat buffet over at Quiznos, wherever afterwards. Right. That defeats the whole purpose. But yeah, the voluntary stuff, the want, the will to do it, it makes it yeah. that much better, I think. And it gives us more merit. And then again, the joyful part. It, there's a, I bring that up because I'm reading a book called Joy in uh, Lent. Uh, some uh, Bene- uh, Benedictine talks about it. And it's, it's all mm-hmm. about the rules of St. Benedict. Uh, they, they lent the whole time and how he quotes joy all the time. And this, joy and penance, joy and... And it's in the scriptures. You know, mm-hmm. Christ will look down and joy, joy of my people, even in suffering. So it's just, it's all a mindset. That's in the rule of St. Benedict, actually, to love fasting is on yeah. there. It's literally in there. If somebody reads it like, whoa, like it's not a burden to be overcome. It's to be loved. And what you talked about, I thought in terms of working over it in time is really important because even with my own life, it took a while to work up to as I try to do tier three. For instance, it was a while until I finally did uh, no meat and fasting all the days of um, St. Martin's Lent leading up to Christmas, whereas Lent was easier for me and I did it over time. So you work up to it. So if you look at that, commit to tier one and look ahead at what tier two and tier three and work towards it over time, you'll be amazed at what your body can do. Like we learned about Yesterday in Septuagesima, some of my favorite readings of the year are talking about the preparation, you know, preparing your body. We're fighting a fight, really. Get ready. You run the race. Lent is the race. The prize is Easter. So get ready for it and prepare yourselves. And you don't just haphazardously go into it. Make a list now. Here's the praying I'm going to be doing, when I'm going to do it, what I'm going to do, where I'm going to be, set the context. Because if you're not eating lunch and you're not eating breakfast, and, and you don't usually go to adoration. You forget to pray the rosary. You don't say the divine office. There's, that's the perfect time to make up for that. So this is an all-around great discipline. And you also talked about the, the health benefits. I once listened to a sermon given by a Byzantine priest, and the whole sermon was just on the health benefits of fasting. And it was all how modern science is just taking what the church has always known. He talked about how Studies have shown it helps prevent memory loss, and it's good to for people so they don't develop uh, Alzheimer's or d- dementia later on, how it improves your blood uh, sugar levels over time, how it improves your mood. And he just went on and on, and he said, we've been practicing this in the traditional Eastern rites of the church for a long time, you know, and, you know, we live a long time, too, if you look historically at people in those countries, too. So, you know, the what, what you eat is is an important part of how you function. So... Take this as an opportunity. And even, even if you're only committing to tier one, you might voluntarily do other things. You might, for instance, want to give up alcohol for all of them, which would not be a bad idea as well, even though that's not listed on there. It's something that I'm recommending people do as well. So do even a little bit beyond that if you want to do. You know, Try to become a master of your own self. Because if you ultimately cannot say no to eating that bonbon, or you can't say no to that cheeseburger, or you can't say no to that drink, how can you actually say no to a serious sin that presents itself to you and it's going to be a really uncomfortable situation? You can't resist the temptation. And that's really what it's about. If you can't say no to something as simple as I can't eat that che- uh, that uh, chicken sandwich, can you really resist mortal sin? Yeah, absolutely. And, and like Steve was just saying, I mean, th- what we're proposing is tier one here. I mean, it could, uh, you know, you might fail big time on this Lent. And that's okay. You need to try your best and you may feel big time, but then next Lent, it's going to be a little bit easier. And then Lent after that, it's going to be a little bit easier. And eventually this will come naturally and you will value it and you'll begin to love it. Um, This is a great quote from your book here, um, Matthew, where you uh, quote uh, Dom Gonger. You say uh, that um, the faith, uh, as it has been practiced for centuries, is that the church has taught that days of communal penance are more efficacious than mere private penances. The trend to encourage private fasting and penances and reduce churchwide fasting to only Ash Wednesday and Good Friday is deplorable. So you quote Dom Gerger, and he says this. Um, in As in all spiritual exercises, a private work of devotion has neither the merit nor the efficacy of one that is done in company with the church and in communion with her public act for the church as the bride of Christ communicates an exceptional worth and power to works of penance done in her name in the unity of social body. And this is very powerful. If you are reading through, even if you can't get in, even if you can't get to the Latin mass every single day, 
Like, so you just start Ash Wednesday and then you start reading through all the pr- the propers like uh, Thursday after Ash Wednesday, Friday after Ash Wednesday, you read through the communion prayers, read through these prayers. It's beseeching the Lord to bless our fast. And that's what this telegram group helps us do is it helps us do this together, support each other, and it makes it more efficacious and more merit as we work together to help each other to do it. Any comments on that, gentlemen? It's like uh, Leo DeMontfort talks about praying in groups. You get uh, you, you take one stick, you can easily break it, but you get 50 sticks and it's going to be harder to break and there's strength in numbers. And Man, imagine if the whole church, would, or at least we get a thousand people, you know, you don't need, all right, we don't need a million people like Gideon. We got 300. He won. We get 300 of our own Gideons out there. And there we go. Fasting like this for all of Lent for the conversion of your a bishop, a pope, whatever. Matt, what good could maybe we merit something down the road of future good, real good pope? I mean, truthfully, I mean, down the road we might we might get our own, and they're all dying out anyways. But why not put some uh, put some uh, uh, penance in now to merit that for later? Yeah, absolutely. Our, our Lord said some demons can only be, be driven out by prayer and fasting. He didn't say prayer or fasting. He said prayer and fasting. So the, the the notion that modern man does not need to fast is simply absurd. If our forefathers who had much less temptations fasted as much as they do, you know, fasting needs to be practiced and we need to do it as community. Ultimately, yeah. I would love to see the church in the Pope restore fasting as it was practiced before 1917. But we work to that in our own lives now, putting it in practice, doing what we can for the good of soul and the conversion of others. And this is a way to actually do that. You know, you're not going around talking about all oh, the news is bad. You know, this, this is going on. Well, woe is what's going on in my archdiocese. This is an actual way to actually make real lasting differences in your own soul and in those of others. So I know firsthand people who, have tried to observe traditional Lent like this over the years, and it's gotten easier over time. And at first they thought, oh, I'm not unhealthy. I have like hypoglycemia or something. And it just turned out they had a bad diet. They had an American diet based on processed foods. Mm-hmm. And the notion that there was something physically wrong with them was actually false. They felt much better. And I, I will say on a practical point, and this is why we have the Telegram group, um, some people say like the first few weeks are the hardest. Your body is adjusting. It's used to this bad food and all of this food regularly. When you go from from that to this austere discipline, it's going to be a shock. But actually, after two weeks, it really gets easier. And then you start to love it and you start to enjoy it. And and every year, although how much I love Easter and how much I love the fast to, to be over, a few days go by. I think, you know, I miss it. That was a way to actually make discipline. That was a way to actually offer our Lord something. I was doing something, you know, every single day when I'm like, I'm hungry and I'm saying no to this for the love of God. That's actually doing something. And that's doing something hard. And that's why I also tell parents, you know, your your children don't have to by church law fast. But there's not if if I, I always said if a child can sin, they can fast too. So voluntarily teach them. Teach them, you know, they don't have to maybe go all in tier one, but, but, you know, maybe don't do all meat for all blend, you know, with them. So get them acclimated to this. I know many people as well who the, uh, the thought and the sight of seeing Catholics do what they do during Lent, fish on Fridays, um, abstaining um, throughout Lent voluntarily fasting has brought about the conversion of other people. Cause they say, if, if your religion is what you say they are, it is, and you're going through all of this, it must actually mean something. The same thing like it talked about around, um, you know, Mother Teresa's time where people were converted by seeing people just stop when the Angelus bells would go off and they would kneel down. Like, is your faith that integral in your life that, no, I'm stopping, I won't do this. Even somebody today asked me, like, you know, my family's Protestant. Like, you know, if I go to their house during Lent, you know, maybe I shouldn't ask them to make special meals. Maybe I should just eat what they're eating. And I'm like, you know, think about the martyrs. The martyrs suffered torture and torments rather than undergoing sin. You know, you can help bring about their conversion to be like, no, I would rather not eat than, than eat that for the love of God. You know, you don't have to make me a special meal. I'm not causing a scene, but for the love of God, I can't eat that and I won't. So we can pray and offer sacrifice this way. A lot, a lot of graces can be won through this um, through this fidelity, I think. Absolutely. Here's a great question from Andrew. 
He says, what is the line between an antiquarianist view of fasting and abstinence, which is usually held as a major fault of the modern liturgical revolution, and simply a moderate recovery of good fasting practices? And I, in response to this, I think of the fact that there are many different religious orders that have been founded over the centuries, which are always trying to restore an old rigor that has been lost. I think of St. Teresa of Avila or St. John of the Cross. They were trying to restore a, a more strict practice that had been lost, and they were persecuted for it. Um, and this particular group, our group is just a lay sodality. So this is just lay people getting together. We, we have the right as lay people. We don't have to ask anybody's permission to just to get together and pray and fast. Um, but what if there was in the future, as, as you say, Matthew, talking about future restoration, what if there were in the future, we had religious orders that came about uh, that were, we all commit to this strict fasting rules. Uh, you know, we're all raising children, like you just mentioned. Uh, you know, many lay people are, you know, raising children and uh, passing this down, you know, our, our children will, uh, get this rigor. Um, so I, I guess for me, answer to this question, I'll, I'll have, I'm curious about y'all's thoughts, but, uh, as Andrew said, um, the antiquarianism that I, I find problematic that I think Pius XII is trying to get at in Vidyatur Day is when we say that some ancient custom is better simply because it's ancient in where, in fact, some, some ancient practices were discarded because they weren't, they were deficient, like communion in the hand, there's certain aspects of that that could be argued from the early church, but the church ultimately said that's deficient. It's not a very good way to do this. This is not, this is prone to abuse, all sorts of problems. Let's stop it altogether. Um, <clears throat> whereas the restoration of ancient rigor, that's kind of always, that's that type of restoration of ancient customs. That's sort of always happening in the church. There's always people arising saying, let's go back to a more rigorous Christian life. So those are my thoughts on that. Any, any thoughts on that, gentlemen? I would say up to the individual for stuff like that. I mean, uh, just like anything, walk of life. My my daily life, I'm not going to tell somebody you need you need to do this 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 because this is what I do. I would make somebody throw up in the first five minutes of a workout if they worked out with me, just because I, I'm already that my body type is I'm like that. I, when I was training people, if somebody came in, it's like I can do all this. Oh yeah, let's go. And I had the, I had the record at the gym for 90 seconds. I'll get somebody to run to the gym. A run into the bathroom. So it's all individual. If you want to go rigor, go for it. Right? But blanket statement, a blanket things, uh, I don't think it's good for all that. I mean, Matthew, Matthew's training for a lifestyle. I'm not going to be able to pull if he tells me, I got to do this, 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 this. Here's what I pray to, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be different for me. It's going to be different for Timothy. It's going to be different for anybody in the chat room, et cetera. So, yeah, just mm -hmm. stick with the middle and then critique it to your own personal. If you want to go harder, go harder. That's a good thing. But don't, I mean, don't pull a black fast and have a spiritual director, as Phil Neary says, if you're asking, uh, if you're asking your own opinion, you're asking for it from a fool. Uh, but yeah, just look at it, see where you can go. Push yourself, just like in it, working out as uh, St. Paul talks about, push yourself, run the race. You got to mm -hmm. run it. You got to make sure you get it. You got to push harder, keep going. It's, you know, don't quit attitude, but don't push yourself too much that you crap out on. And like, uh, I think John Vianney, I think Father Abernathy talked about saying, at the end of his life, he was upset that he chastised his body too much when he was younger, that towards the end of it, he couldn't do as much as he wanted to or it was just affecting him. He's not alone on that. So there's some guys that get us some uh, not unchecked zeal, but be like too zealous. And then at the end of the race, be like, man, I'm out of gas. So you got to you know pace yourself. But yeah, push yourself and pace yourself. We got to be smart about it. Yeah, yeah. What you, what you said is is true. And um one thing I talk about in the book is I build up the history of fasting. So, I mean, we can't obviously do that in a couple of minutes, but read the book for the full story. But basically what what uh, I'm really kind of found and I really posit is the truth is fasting and absence continue to grow based on the early church. It was this is what the apostles did. The early church added stuff, kept to it. It enriched their lives. They kept adding days like vigils, St. Martin's life. It really wasn't until the Renaissance, right around the time of the Renaissance, where modern man wanted to free himself of the of religion and, and go on these other quests and these other self-expressions and, and, and leave society, that we started to have the really deterioration of fasting. And it always really paints itself, I feel like, 
um, under good pretenses. People say, well, I can't, I can't observe these days anymore. I work too much. And the church says, okay, well, we'll change this up here. And people don't want to do that. I've traveled too much. Okay, we'll change it up here. And that's what the history of fasting is. It continued to grow. It continued to build itself in a very organic way until all of a sudden you had exception after exception after exception. So when people look at fasting today and say it's only two days a year, that's absurd compared to what St. Thomas talks about. But you have to understand it didn't go from St. Thomas to this. It was consistently watered down, you know, brick by brick by brick to get here today. Even in St. Thomas's time, that was there were some exceptions and, and, you know, some changes from the way it was practiced beforehand. So anything I do think, like you said, Steve, it does depend on your own um, your own disposition and your own physical needs to, you know, don't go all in. I'm going to people say I want to do a black fast every day and only water for Lent. You know, well, St. Francis, he lived on le less than two loaves of bread for all Lent once on an island. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend that. It's certainly not your first time around. <laughs> you know, you got to work up to that. And uh, a lot of people, too, they, they misunderstand completely what black fast means. I wrote an article on that for the Fatima Center. People can check it out. People have totally incorrect ideas of what does fasting mean? What does black fast mean? And that's also what I kind of correct in the book, too, trying to write the rules on what fasting really is. But it's a sad story about its about its decline. And, and we don't just simply pick up these practices and say, well, it was practiced in the year 400 and that's old. So I'm doing it because it's old. No, this was practiced for hundreds of years ultimately really until the Renaissance, so right around the time that uh, uh, Benedict XIV uh, gave that uh, that uh, quote that we talked about earlier, and then it's been watered down since, and so we bring it up. And um, <clears throat> Timothy, you mentioned St. John of the Cross. I think he's excellent um, because he wasn't just persecuted. He wasn't just yelled at on Twitter. He wasn't just unfriended. He was <laughs> literally put in prison. He was beaten. He was, they, he had his missile taken away. He could not say mass. He could not go to Holy Communion. He was in prison for a year by his own order who basically tortured him. And he was freed by the Blessed Virgin Mary at night where he escaped. So he is somebody who, why was he in prison for? He wanted to restore the primitive rule. And he voluntarily did it early on in his, in his religious life. He said, I, I simply won't eat meat ever. Did his order make him a special meal? No, he simply went hungry. He literally would rather starve because he chose to bring back the older rule. So he is a true great champion of ours. So if you find yourself struggling this Lent, you find yourself struggling to be a member of this group, I think that not only would St. Nicholas be a good patron, but pray to St. John of the Cross too, because he was literally in prison for the same reason. Yeah, absolutely. Um, our, our friend Lyndon, uh, Byzantine Catholic writer at 1 Peter 5, he, he makes a good point about that uh, charity can sometimes uh, oblige us to break the fast, like if for like hospitality reasons. Um, and I think that there, there needs to be a judgment call in this particular case. And as I tried to emphasize, these are voluntary penances. You know, if, the, if you have a situation where you are obliged under charity to give somebody charity, which would involve eating some food, uh, you're obliged to charity. Charity trumps all the rules, uh, but not if we're dealing with the canonical rules of, you know, Friday fasting, for example. Um, right. But or Friday absence too. Right, Friday Friday absence. I'm sorry, um, <clears throat> but it's you know, I, I, there's there needs to be a. I mean, I think the difficulty is that the devil wants to find any way for us to rationalize relaxing our discipline. And so it's really easy for us. Ah, well, we could just break the fast, you know, oh, we mm -hmm. could just, you know, this and that thing. But, you know, I, uh, it's not that uh, offensive to just tell your Protestant family, Hey, uh, I gave up meat for Lent. You know, they're like, Oh, okay. You know, we won't give you meat. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, if your family is like, you know, if they love you, you know, I don't think that they'll be, you know, deeply offended if you just tell them, uh, you know, no, thank you. Uh, thanks, but no thanks. I would gave up meat. It'd be cheaper too. I, if I was the family, I'd be like, okay, good. I don't have to buy that. Whole <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Um, here's a um, comment here from T. Sliv or Slew. What is more meritorious, submitting to the obedience of the church or fasting according to your own or desires? Um, I'm not sure. This sounds like a, a critical comment, but it is a good thing to bring up because it seems to me to have a, a false dichotomy here. There's not really a, 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 there's not really a conflict between obedient, obeying the church and fasting according to your desire. There need, need not be a conflict. On the one hand, as Steve just mentioned, you know, we, we should not take any pride in our fasting like the Pharisee did. 
because otherwise we'll go to hell. We're, we're, good job fasting. You ended up in hell because you're prideful. Great. You know, the, the devils don't, the, the fallen angels don't fast because they don't have bodies. So they're great. They're, you know, they're burning in hell and you can burn with them if you're prideful in your fasting. So we don't want to be prideful in our fasting. Um, but there, there, there need not be any, uh, just, uh, you know, conflict between obeying the church's law, as we said, you know, there is those two days of fasting and there's Friday abstinence on in Lent and penance throughout the year on Friday. Uh, or if, if you're lucky enough to have a bishop's conference that still has abstinence on Fridays throughout the year, God bless you. Um, but there's always, as I said, there's always been movements in the church that have just voluntarily say, hey, let's all take on some a little bit more just for to help each other to offer a preparation for our own sins, to support each other, to offer reparation for this or that thing. And that's a good thing that the church blesses that. You know, we're not trying to do this in some sort of spirit of rebellion or pride or anything like that. We're trying to say, hey, this is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Let's do it together. Thoughts on right. that, gentlemen? Right. I, I would just posit St. John of the Cross. You know, there is this is that's really a false dichotomy. Look at what he did. He he he, he voluntarily fasted. He tried to bring back great um, penances and um, he was canonized for it. So it's, it's really not one way or the other. Um, so that, that's what I would say. Yeah, I'll yeah. Go with it. just like how well he was saying about his uh, Protestant family, I, the 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 Italian Anthony got in my head for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Who let that guy in the room uh, <laughs> off the rails? Anyways, so that's a great evangelization opportunity to for him to go yeah. to his family and say, "Hey, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not eating because X, Y, Z." I've done that with my with my in laws, things like that. But and then bring up John of the Cross. He's in a religious order, standing his foot down, putting his foot down, doing what is right. Totally different. Mm-hmm. So if you go into your house and, and you do the same, John, say treat your family as. The Carmelites uh, that were persecuting John of the Cross, that wouldn't be a good thing. Cherry, St. Bernard talks about that going into a, uh, like almost like somebody comes into you and say, hey, by the way, you're here. Here's a big spread. And he goes, you're fasting by eating it because you, your soul doesn't want to do it. But out of charity, you're obliging their their hospitality. Uh, someone, I think, brought that up about St. Benedict, too. And Desert Fathers talk about that. And, um a lot of people err on charity. Say like, uh, I remember some priest friends of mine said they went to a, a arena football game or something like that. And uh, people saw there were seminarians and they brought every, some guy brought them a bunch of pizzas and happy pepperoni on a Friday. And he knowing that what they were thinking was, I got eat the pizza, either take the pepperoni off or I give you a dispensation on eating that at a charity. Cause they're right there. What do you do? Throw the, $400 worth of pizza and tell them, no, thanks, man. I'm not going to do that. I mean, that's just right in their face. You're going to lose them one. And then you can do some penance afterwards. They're not, they didn't go there to eat it. They didn't want to do it, but <laughs> it's that kind of out of obedience. You're forced to do it. You gain the double, was it the double honor out of this? So they call it. So you get it and you get that for out of cherry. So air on cherry on everything, but that don't use an excuse to go like, you know, <laughs> oh, I just stumbled into an Italian job with the salamis on special today. I guess I got to get it, you know. You know be, be realistic about things like that and take advantage of the situations. Like if, you know, Matthew talks about his family, that's an educational thing. Bring it up. Make sure you have a reason for your the hope that is in you. And maybe that will bring them in or offer it up for their conversion, things like right. that. So, and if they see you picking the pepperoni off, tell them why. It would be like, it's still great pizza. You know, it's not one <laughs> or the other. It's false dichotomy. You know? Exactly. Robin says, uh, by observing a much stricter Lent f- fast and abstinence than the church currently recommends, I was able to preser- persevere for the first time in 22, I think she meant years, listen to Father Ripperger's talks on fasting to prepare. Who's that guy? Father Ripperger, <laughs> check out census or spiritustv.com for more. If you want to know who this guy Ripperger is, what is he like? Jack- Father, they're talking about you on TV again. <laughs> <laughs> and the question, too, on obedience, it makes me think that a lot of people have false ideas about obedience today, you know, like a obedience a regular secular clergy takes versus somebody in religious order versus a lay person. What does it mean to be truly obedient? There's really good articles written on 1 Peter 5, I know. So if somebody still has struggles on, would I be obedient if I go to an SSPX church or not? Would I be obedient if I do, you know, traditional fasting or not? Like these are false ideas really on what obedience is and isn't. And, you know, 1 Peter 5 does have good stuff on that. Yeah, I, I wanted to um 
uh, Father Repiger as a total Chad, says Chad Thomas. Uh, I wanted to say um, this is a just just for the 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 sake of obedience. What you note in your book here, pleasey, uh, is that even when I mean every time there's been a a relaxation, there's always been an there's a relaxation in the law, and then there's an exhortation to not do that. I mean, this is the key here because some of the people you know have have you know are questioning what we're doing here. Even, you know, Benedict XIV, we just talked about that. He relaxes the law, but exhorts people to not follow that law, you know, go further than the law. Um, and this is something that was interesting. Even in 1966, they were the, the most modern um, relaxation that we have that's currently in force. The USCCB in 66 said, quote, even though we turn. So this is from Pleasy's book, by the way, as we said, quote, even though we hereby terminate the traditional law of abstinence binding under pain of sin as the sole prescribed means of observing Friday, we hope that the Catholic community will ordinarily continue to abstain from meat by free choice as formerly we did in obedience to church law. So there's always this exhortation. I mean, that's, that's what, that's what I think we're saying. There's not really this, there's not a conflict between obedience and doing these things because the, the, these church authorities, the bishops and the, and the popes have always relaxed, but said, please do more. We're going to relax it, but please do more. So, and this is what your book documents, pleasing. Right. And the, and the thing is, so you said about 75% of the book is new to you, actually. And that was what the interesting thing was. This book was written really over the course of years of various articles I wrote for, for different places. And I put it all together. And there's a whole separate section at the end on the Eucharistic fast as well. So that's entirely different, too. Um, but so much of it's new, you know, and so much of it's misunderstood. People have an idea because they're like, oh, I fast. I know what Lent is. I must know all of fasting. And it's simply not the case. I would venture to say for the average Catholic in the pews who doesn't go to Mass every day, 95% of the book will be new to them. So this is really a definitive guide. So if somebody's watching, they want to start preparing for Lent, get the paperback or the Kindle. Um, it is in English right now. We're going to have it in Polish and in Spanish within a couple of days, probably. So share it with others who speak those languages as well. We want to get as much of the Catholic world as possible doing this. This is not just for Americans. This is for everybody. This is a way for us to really take the church back and drive out the demons by prayer and fasting. Absolutely. Steve, final thoughts for the show before we close out here. You can never go. I don't think you can ever think about, Can I, am I doing too much? Uh, if you didn't too much, you'll probably drop dead anyways. Uh, have a spiritual director. Talk to your spiritual director. Make sure you get somebody, or at least talk to a friend. Say, am I doing too, like, email Matthew. Go to his website. What do you think about this? Hit me up. Send me an email. And I'll end up telling you the same thing. Go find your spiritual director anyways. But give it a shot. Don't think you can't do it. If you can't, do, if you think you can't do it, you can't do anything. Just go in and give it a try. Start one week. Give it a shot. Go work for two weeks. Don't look at it going, all right, it's day one. I'm looking all the way down at the 40th day. One day at a time, and then the next day, and then the next day. You might be dead by next week anyway. So worry about the day you're doing. Beat it. Go to the next day. I get to the end of it, work on it. Figure out what you're going to eat. That's why all there's, there's more books on Lenten uh, feast or uh, Lenten tips on how to eat than there are on regular days. I mean, there's a lot of Catholic books on how to eat during Lent because, one, it's like Matthew and I brought up, you think more about it. You may be making more healthy of a food. So you got soups and dishes and they taste good and they're good for you. There's a reason for that. You're supposed to eat like that. So maybe it's the mindset and then down the road, it changes your mindset for when you're not fasting and you eat better anyways. And that could be a penance because somebody might want to get a pizza and you're like, oh, you know, I, mean, I love pizza. But then you think maybe it's not that good. I'll end up doing this. So it's this fish and rice or something like this, whatever. And right. make sure you, if you're going to put it inside your system, that you're doing it for a purpose, just like fasting. Why are you doing it? Fasting without prayer is just dieting. So make sure you have both in it. This is a Catholic thing. We're not looking to lose weight. It's going to happen anyways. So don't look at it and say, hey, look in the mirror. Let me see. I'm getting that belly out of here. Uh, make sure you fast. Make sure you're praying more. Make sure you're doing everything you can for the greater glory of God and is don't go out and tell to everyone on Twitter how much you're losing, how much you're doing this. Just encourage each other to be better. Matthew and I talked about it, and he, he got me to start doing the St. Martin's Lent. He didn't bash me or tell me I was a weekend, you know what, for not doing it beforehand. 
it intrigued me. It got me like wanting to do it and think about it. The next year, bam, we're doing it. The whole family's doing it. I thought it was great. I can't wait to do it next time. And mm-hmm. it's just the gold we find. I mean, it's hard, but as you know, Tom Hanks in the movie uh, League of uh, League of Their Own, it's supposed to be hard. The hard makes it great. And I think this stuff that makes the religion great. There we go, uh, Matthew. Final thoughts for the Trad Lent is Trad Fasting. So Septuagesima Sunday is probably my favorite readings in the year. Um, well, part of it's because I run marathons. So all the talk about running and preparing, like I, I relate to that biased. very well. So I mean, it's a little biased for sure. I, mean, I did appreciate too yesterday how the sermon talked about a marathon taking place here in a couple of weeks. So I appreciate that too. But what was really interesting is the, the dichotomy between the epistle and the gospel. So the gospel basically talking about even at the 11th hour, you know, your whole life, you didn't observe Lent. Your whole life, you were outside the faith. You convert, you can be saved. But the epistle is, you could be you could be lost at the 11th hour. So St. Paul is talking about, you know, continuing to train, continuing to prepare himself, because he has not crossed the finish line yet. So it's interesting. So salvation can be lost or can be won at the last minute. So we can never be too afraid to adopt the faith. We can never be... To, to think like, oh, that person's old, they're 75. Why why should they convert now? We should never think that. But we should never be like, I've been Catholic my whole life. Of course I'll be saved. So you you can always lose it. So continue to try to do what you can. And, and it's important uh, to remember prayer, fasting, and almsgiving are the true pillars of Lent. So we haven't talked about almsgiving or prayer a whole lot, but we should have a regimen. We should have a routine. So literally right now, Sit down, think about what, what are you going to do? So say you do tier one for your fasting. For What are your prayers going to be? What, what are things you need to incorporate into your life? Is it daily mass? Is it the rosary? Are you wearing the brown scapula? Are you observing the first Saturdays? There's a lot of things you can voluntarily do. And then two, almsgiving. <clears throat> what, what have you done to support your local church? Traditional orders who are fighting the good fight and who are under a lot of persecution. Um, if I can put out a little personal plug, so I'm running the, the London Marathon in about nine or ten weeks, and I have a fundraiser that I'm raising uh, money for. So if you go to my Twitter on a Catholic Life, the pin at the top, if you do want to make some Lenten almsgiving, I'm raising money for children who are orphans and whose parents died for um, the Catholic Children's Relief Society of the UK. So there, there's a lot of great causes out there. So definitely fast, definitely prepare, but don't neglect the others. And remember, charity underscores it all. We don't yeah. like, like our Lord talked about, we don't let our beards grow out. We don't sit around and think, well, I'm miserable. I just want those people to see me and think, well, that must be a holy guy. I feel sorry for him. Like that is not the, the answer. Continue to go about your day, go about your work and our Lord will reward us. And people say, what are you doing for Lent? Then you share. We don't get in front of people's faces though. And like we're fasting, we're better than everybody else. So fasting something I feel like a lot of people are afraid to talk about because our Lord said do it in secret, but he didn't say, you know, like only do it in secret as in not talk to people about it. We pray the rosary in public. We go on public processions. That doesn't mean we are violating our Lord's command to pray with the door closed. So sometimes we have to remember whenever we study the scriptures, use it with an approved Catholic commentary so we know what it's about. Fasting is very misunderstood. The history is very forgotten. I hope this book and our work here and our fellowship will bring about ultimately more for souls. So that's my hope. This Lent, but throughout the whole year. Exactly. Yeah, Steve says no Ash Wednesday selfies. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, I think that that's I like I really like what you say, Matthew, because I mean, um, we want to be careful about pride. Don't try to just, you know, announce it with trumpets, as our Lord says. But, you know, there are those personal, you know, one on one connections that you make like what are you doing for Lent? hey well i'm fasting you know or whatever you know just um like you said i on a broadcast previously we did you know i'm fasting and you should too join our group let's do it together you know it's an invitation it's an evangelization opportunity and what you just brought up there's a great little guide just in closing if you go to if you search rorate chaley lent our friends over at rorate chaley have a great little lent uh worksheet so you can you can download this you can print this out and it has uh, all these making a Lent plan. This now is the time to make your Lent plan. You know, we've talked all about fasting, but as Matthew just said, we didn't talk about prayer and almsgiving. And think about it long term too, because this is something that you want to go hardcore during Lent, but you also want to build something that you can continue. It's very easy during Paschal tide 
to just blow all the progress that you just made, you know, just gorge yourself on all the, the meats and celebrate, which you should celebrate, but you, you shouldn't do so in a, as a way that you lose all your progress. You lose all your virtues for the rest of the year. So you want to think long-term. I want to go hardcore and then back off a little bit, but not totally in Paschal Tide. And then after Paschal Tide, return a little bit more to some more discipline. So thinking long-term, and that's what uh, I appreciate so much about what you've done with this whole transidality, Matthew. Matthew is really the, has put all of this content together. You know, me and Steve are, are co-founders with him. And I'm so glad that you've put this calendar together, that this is a year round thing and going through it all through the year is uh, very powerful. Um, I'm just a pretty face. I didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you you have very good content though on Lens <laughs> and on, this lens on, on your channel. I was like, so. Matthew, you guys, you guys did all the work on this. <laughs> Well, we're happy to have Census Fidelian as an official co-sponsor, co-partner. So, excellent. Well, let it in all things, let's offer this all to God through Our Lady. Let's ask Our Lady to purify our offerings that they may be cleansed of any traces of pride that we can truly offer a pure sacrifice to Almighty God of our penances, that these penances may be meritorious through her intercession. So, Matthew, can you finish the Hail Mary for me? Yes. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Nicholas. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus is King.